0: Today on The Microscopists, I'm joined by Mark Bray of Novartis and Pearl Ryder of the Carpenter Lab at the Broad Institute. And we'll be discussing creating healthy working cultures.
1: I really believe that we should just be supporting people to be making the decisions that feel best for their whole lives.
0: Why Mark was actually happy leaving the wet lab behind.
2: You you love on the cells and then it's just up and die because you didn't do the right dance or the moon is in the wrong phase (laughs) or what have you
0: why the move from academia to industry isn't as scary as it first seems. So culturally
2: speaking, I was wondering if there was going to be a huge shift, and that was worrisome, but it turned out to be not much of a shift at all.
0: And
1: what does Pearl like to do to relax? I think I have to admit that my secret is probably that I love reading trashy romance novels. That's, That's the real secret.
0: All in this episode of The Microscopists. Hi, I'm Peter O'Toole, and on this episode of the Microscopist, I'm joined by Mark Gray from Novartis and Pearl Ryder from the Broad Institute. So, welcome both of you. Well,
1: thank Good you. Hello. Th-
0: so, th- this is a bit different to usual you, because you're both relatively early career scientists. Relatively, I said Mark. Relatively, uh, <laughs> uh, and actually, both have one thing in common, which is you've both been in or working with Anne Carpenter in the past so actually i'd like to introduce yourselves so mark uh, hello pearl. this is pearl pearl this is to mark because so i don't think you joined you you overlapped did you not at all
2: that's right i came out in in out of um in 2016.
0: and pearl when did you yeah. start
1: and i started in september 2020 so quite okay. recently only about nine months ago okay so, so
0: pearl Where were you before you joined the lab?
1: Well, so I do have a relatively, it feels like to me now, a long training history. So I have been based um, at Emory University since my undergrad, essentially. I initially went and joined an MD program at Emory. And then within the first month, I asked so many questions of my professors that they said to me like, are you in the PhD program? That eventually I added on a PhD and did a PhD in cell biology at Emory. And from there, I did a year of training in psychiatry at Emory, and then decided not to focus on the clinical work and did a postdoc at Emory in cell biology and genetics as well. And then finally um, decided to switch institutions and have joined Ann Carpenter's group for a second postdoc. This one focused on image analysis, analyzing microscopy images. So that's the like one, two minute version of my training and where I came from.
0: I've got to note you're always at the same place. And do you know what? Quite often that's frowned upon. Mm -hmm. They say, you know, you should never do your undergraduate and your PhD and then your postdoc all at the same place. But you've done that. So do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing?
1: You know, it's really mixed. Um, I did it knowing that there were potentially consequences to my career and being a little concerned that, for example, if I submitted grants to NIH, I might not be considered to have as strong a training potential and may not get the grant because of that. Um, But for my personal life, it was the right decision at every step of the way. And so I just decided that like I really wanted to be surrounded by this community that is in Atlanta. And that it would be worth it—that my science would benefit from being happy, me being happy, and supported by my community—and then I just kept going for it, and I got the grants. Like, I was able to convince them that actually the science was still good.
0: Yeah, Mark, what about yourself? What was your background before you came into Anne's lab?
2: Yeah, I just before I get to that, it's interesting. My my sister is in Atlanta. She went to Emory for her JD. And she never left. She's been there for over a decade now, so she has great things to say about Atlanta. Um, But uh, for myself, so my background, I went to, um, been all all over the place just from growing up to to here, but I did my undergrad um, at Tulane, New New Orleans, Louisiana, moved on to um, Vanderbilt, Nashville, Tennessee, which I loved, so I got my master's there and decided to stay for my PhD. and finished that up in 04, Stayed for a one-year postdoc to just kind of wrap up some things with my um, my doctoral advisor, and um, moved on to Harvard um, uh, to uh, as part of a new lab that was starting up with a uh, professor who was a former student of my grad advisor. And so um, yeah, it's there for four four years, and then from there moved on to the Broad Institute, and then from there to Novartis. So I. When I put it on a map, it's sort of this interesting trajectory northward <laughs> towards the northeast, which I did not, I did not expect. Um, I did not think I would be in the, you know, in Boston for as long as I have. But you know, but here I am.
0: I, I usually ask near the end where you see the future going, but I guess if you go northwards, I guess that's Alaska or beyond. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's pretty much either here and then, or like Iceland or, so, or somewhere. That's it, in the, and that's if I keep a vector in the same direction. <laughs>
0: I thought it was interesting just going back on staying in the one place. It sounds like it's quite addictive. Uh, and mark, even you, a little incestuous by going on to someone who's very closely related to your doctoral supervisor. Now, do you think it's still such a problem to do that anymore? I know always it, it an old view that you should keep moving.
1: Hmm.
2: yeah, it, I, I think for for me, it wasn't let's see, it it certainly didn't pose a problem in that it was just a very different um different institution different um direction so my grad advisor his his background was in physics but he got a joint appointment with the um, biomedical engineering department of which i was a part and then um uh kit parker that was the person i joined for the postdoc he went to kind of into bioengineering proper so it's a very kind of two semi-related but very divergent fields that i i went in even though the the um, the genealogy is, is shared. So in that case, I don't think it, it it's never come up as an, as an issue.
1: Yeah, I'd say the same for me that like, for me, it has really not come up as a negative. People warned me against doing it. And I certainly got the advice that there could be consequences. But I have been deliberate about trying to select places where I feel like I will be getting I, I was excited about the training that I was going to be getting. And the reason was because there was always something that was going to be new. And as long as you have that element, um, I really think that, that it can be okay. Um, That is, of course, coming from a place of like relative privilege that, you know, my application may not be given the same scrutiny that other people's are. So um, I think it's also always a personal decision. And whatever people choose, I really believe that we should just be supporting people to be making the decisions that feel best for their whole lives.
0: Uh, Yeah, I I think if you if the research that you're doing is strong, and your output is strong, that's what counts more than anywhere anything else. Uh, But you, you said about the privilege. Also, if you're in a reputable lab, it also helps. Mm-hmm. Uh th- th- there is still that I don't know the business card on your CV that gets you at least into the interview stage quite often
2: mm-hmm.
0: so your your scientific backgrounds because I think these may be different between the two of you so start with Pearl on this one what is your so what what did you major in
1: um like in as an undergraduate or and
0: postgraduate yes
1: Yeah, so as an undergraduate, I was very focused. So I went into my undergraduate just like laser focused on medical school. So I was a biological sciences major. I then um, in graduate school chose cell biology because I liked thinking at that level of complexity that going down to biochemistry and thinking only at the level of a protein felt a little bit too reductive for how I like to think. But an organ or a whole organism also, or even an ecosystem, that was just too complex for me. So I chose the cell. I focused on studying the process of endosome trafficking for my PhD, which is all about getting proteins to the right place in the cell so that they can perform their functions where they need to. But I really chose that for my advisor. I picked um, an advisor that I really wanted to work with for my PhD. And then for my postdoc training, I chose, my first lab was a Drosophila um, kind of genetics and development lab, and also, you know, rooted in cell biology, trying to understand how cells are organized still. And from there, I did so much image analysis during that first postdoc that I realized how much I loved that. And that was what kind of spurred me on to apply for the position in Ann's lab and and move into the image analysis as my focus.
0: So it's very life science on the way through. Yeah. Interesting that your clinic, where actually, when did the clinical bit, <laughs> what, you were laser focused? I was. I microscopy and being laser focused. So you were laser focused. Yes. And then,
1: right. It's defracted out the way. What, what happened? So, so I was. This was always a really interesting contrast for me because I was, you know, through undergrad, I was definitely pre-med. That was always the plan. And I think... It's, I mean, it's complicated, but there were personal reasons that really drove me towards medicine. We had a family history of having someone in my family who was very, very sick when I was growing up. And that really inspired me to see health and as just the most important thing that you could be working on in the world to try to impact people's lives. Um, And that really led me to medicine, or that's how I got into that focus. But then the actual experience of doing medicine uh, was never, it was a mix. You know, there were things that I absolutely loved about it, but then there were a lot of experiences in being part of a very, very broken system within the US that were just kind of soul sucking and so depressing to be a part of. And so I did, I never felt like I had a clear vision for how I wanted the research to combine with the medicine. Like for me, they were like two separate things that I could switch and go back and forth and do, but I wasn't clear on how I was going to bring that together into a career. And it was never deliberate. I never deliberately wanted to do the MD and the PhD. I selected the MD and then added on the PhD. So there was always a tension there. And it was during my training, my, um, intern year where I was working as a doctor in a county hospital that was extremely underfunded, facing a lot of issues um, where my patients just didn't have the support from our society that they needed. And I, I really, I think I got depressed. Like In hindsight, that's how I see it now, and I just couldn't go forward with that work. Like It was just draining me so much, and I didn't feel like I was actually helping my patients because I was so, so drained, and so I decided to stop. I knew that research was something that I loved, and I felt like I could make a good impact doing that. And I just said, you know, I'm not going to renew my contract and then I'll figure it out from there. And eventually found my way back to research.
0: That was really cool. That's a really nice dovetail back to Mark, actually, because you chose the clinical side to start with because you wanted to help and family history. Mm -hmm. And yet I would argue at that point that doctors can only diagnose and prescribe without the drugs. I can't say they're nothing because obviously that's a <laughs> gross over exaggeration um, But to have a profound effect, you need to develop the drugs and the medicine to help and to give them the tools, which is where Mark is right now as well. And and actually, I, I that's not saying because obviously a lot of ants work in self profiler are based around that market as well. But Mark, you're actually at the cutting edge of that. But what is your background? Because I think that's you're not so biological are you from the start.
2: Oh, so yeah, let me let me back up and I'm going to go all flying like, all the way back. Um, so for me, like in high school, science. my mom was a nurse and my dad was a welder. And so my mom had um, various medical textbooks littered around the house and I would just love to read them in the, in the natural world. It always been a big thing with me. So when it came up to the college decision, I remember thinking, OK, I like biology. I like math not so much chemistry liked physics. What can And this is in the 90s? Um, so I'm thinking like what can combine all this into one nice package. And then I was hearing about this new thing called biomedical engineering or newish, I guess. Um, and so I went to like one of the, you know, guides for, um, you know, you know, top schools and X, Y, or Z major. I think like, I think they still have this, this guide, they publish it even now found biomedical engineering, just looked up the top 20 schools and just applied to like the first few or so, plus a few local ones. And so, yeah, I came in knowing that I wanted to. Biomedical engineering sounded interesting. At the time, m- many schools didn't have a de facto BME program. It was more like, you know, you can major in biology and mechanical engineering and put them together. Um, but Tulane was one of the uh, several that had a biomedical engineering uh, uh, degree. So I went into that, loved it, um, was there also with, with a fair number of pre med students as, as well. Um, and then at uh, at the end, I sort of felt like, okay, I've made it to the end of my undergraduate degree, but with BME, it's such a kind of you know jack of all trades, master of none sort of thing that I was like, okay, well, how do I focus into something that I can actually get a job uh, job doing? You know, I'm not sure. Let me go to grad school <laughs> and sort of punt the the decision of a little bit further down. And so with my um uh, my senior year uh, advisor at Tulane. Um, who was in cardiac electrophysiology, that was her, her specialty. Um, she recommended the person who I ended up working with for my grad degree and so went to the by the BME program at Vanderbilt um, and got focused there, but hooked on with this professor who, um, who is in uh, living state physics, um, that was his specialty. So cardiac electrophysiology, but um, kind of straddling this interdisciplinary uh, field in um, in best of both worlds. that was eight years awesome time um came out and at the end i was like okay so i'm you know i I have my phd my i have my degree can i still get a job of this i'm not sure let me do a postdoc and and, and (laughs) punt you you sense you probably sense a a trend here um so in this case uh, when i came up to to harvard that was a real um stretch in, in some in some respects because as i remember Um, I had kind of two options at the time. I could either go to Harvard and sort of make the decision as to whether faculty was something I really wanted to do, which I wasn't sure about. And really by going to Harvard, I'd really stretch myself, you know, go all out and see if this was a lifestyle I wanted to to lead. My other option was going to the University of Alabama in Birmingham where I had another uh, 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 professor who I'd worked with as a a grad student who was really great. Um, So two very different, like both good places would have been good labs. But if I gone to Alabama, I could have, you know, lived like a king on, on the NIH salary. Um, whereas, you know, I could go to Harvard and be a pauper, um, but it's Harvard. <laughs> so I, I I chose Harvard, um, partly, you know, somewhat finance, but also to really see if I could really um, uh, do, if I kind of had what it took to become faculty in an R1 type institution. And also as a chance to get to, it was my first sort of, um, uh, hands-on wet work, everything I'd done prior to was all computational. Um, now at Harvard, I was actually like growing the cells, doing the microscopy myself, um, and all, all that work. So I was four years there. And at the end it was, um, uh, said, okay, wet work has, has been interesting. I'm never doing it again. So, um, and then
0: it, the wet work or the computation, the wet, the
2: wet, the wet work part. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, when you're growing cells and you, you do. You, you love on the cells and then it's just up and die because you didn't do the right dance or the moon is in the wrong phase or what have you. So that I, um, with computational work, if something goes wrong, you know, chances are it's your fault <laughs> and it's pretty straightforward. Um, but by the end of the, the postdoc, it was still I was still in this existential crisis. Like what, what now? Like I I've gotten the, all the degrees. There's like no other um, place uh, that I can go. And so um it actually put me in, in a very stress it was a stressful time figuring out what I was going to do. And I was also in on the verge of um getting married as well as engaged, you know, a family was in the offing. Um so it was it was hard. And that's when I found out about the Broad, about Anne's lab, and then this whole staff scientist uh opportunity came up, which was something kind of a non-traditional route, which um I had never heard of before, but it ended up being a great way way forward. Um eight years, awesome time. And then, you know, without even necessarily looking for it, Novartis uh, an op- a, uh, opportunity at Novartis opened up, and so I, I jumped on that. So I, I can go on further, but I'll I'll hold off. <laughs> and so make sure so
0: people. Get you a chance both to talk. have very so obviously, Pearl, you were very wet lab based uh, yeah. to start with, with not too much computational skills. Mark, you were very computational and wet work. Obviously, wasn't for you by the sounds of it, <laughs> and yet you both landed up in the same lab. You know, t- t- okay, okay, it's a small gap between you, but it's gone through it. it. It's quite a big change for both of you to go into one that is, it, it, yeah, Anne's lab, cell profile that is very focused. It, it, it's got a need. And bringing your skills to it and learning the need to understand. So, Mark, in your case, understanding, I guess, the need to do cell segmentation, tracking, analysis, quantification, Well, obviously, you know how to make the images. I would guess you've done imaging before, but now you had to get your head, I guess, around the analysis perspectives and how to enable, how to make that work, not just applying tools, but to make and develop tools. How big a challenge was taking that step? Let's start with Mark this time. Okay.
2: Uh, Yeah, that was... So in some ways, um, when I was at my postdoc, in some ways I was doing a little bit of the um, image analysis development work that I did at, at the bro just on a smaller scale just for my lab I was working in matlab making uis and doing some image analysis there along with the wet work I was also doing and part of my kind of really reframing re- reconfiguring what um, my trajectory would be was really understanding and fully internalizing that the image analysis piece in my postdoc was what I really enjoyed the um, cardiac electrophysiology part was fun but it wasn't really what drove me it was the image analysis part um and so at that point i was able to say okay not uh, my choices aren't so much where does my pedigree put me but more what is it i really enjoy to do and and i started my search on that basis and so when i got connected to anne it was such a great fit like it what i i still remember when i did my um my interview my job interview there And I really felt like I stuck the landing. Like I knew this was like, this is where I need to be. And I had no issue like just sort of selling it. Like I I just, you know, this is why I should be here. (laughs) Um, But I think one of the things I really enjoyed when I talked to Anne during the interview at the very end, she um, pitched it in part as um, we are a, a platform enabling science for others. And so there was this kind of almost you know missional mindset at least that's how i i heard it like we are helping scientists we are scientists ourselves but we're helping scientists do their work and so that kind of you know um uh, you know looking outside of yourself in order to help others you know even you know in this context was something very attractive
0: for me at the time and so um uh i I went for it very much team science in in a bigger bigger way outside of the lab itself yeah yeah. what what about you going from wet into a less wet environment
1: you know for me actually there's a lot of similarities with what mark describes so for my first postdoc i did um, a lot of image analysis Uh, i was also in a similar role of being the one in the lab who was interested in image analysis and so i just i had my own images that i had taken of developing fruit fly embryos and i kept Running up against this idea of like we really wanted to quantify what we were seeing by eye. And so I just throughout the postdoc over the course of several years built my own program, like my own analysis pipeline built in Python in order to do that analysis. In hindsight, now I know I could have done it in self profiler now that I've been in Ann's lab. Um, but you know. I really wanted to learn those skills. And as I got deeper and deeper into it, I had a similar realization of like, this is the stuff that like I'm having to kind of like set, I literally had to set timers for myself during the workday to be like, no, really you need to go up and like start that experiment. Like um, I, and so when I joined Ann's lab, I had a few of these moments Where I'd be like really deep into thinking about an image analysis problem and all of a sudden I would have a realization like there's nothing else that I have to like get up and go do I don't have a different responsibility now. And so it's been a great transition for me because now I'm part of a group within the lab so I can learn so much from people with more experience than me. And I get to think about multiple different problems. So I can draw on the fact that my training has gone into many different places. And I have this MD knowledge where you learn a lot about many different biological systems within the human body. And so I love getting to think about many different problems throughout the course of a week or a month. And we do a lot of work trying to help um, scientists, even just on our forum where they can post a really short, small question about cell profiler. And I find it really rewarding to get to try to think about, you know, I can think about how can I do this for the problems I'm thinking about, but I like trying to think about it for other people's as well. And I think that taps into that helper role, helping and being a bigger part of team science. But it also taps into some of the motivation for me personally that like my personality lines up really well with that type of role that I get a lot out of being in those roles. That initially drove me to medicine, but actually I'm finding it super rewarding as a way to express that within science.
0: I think you probably both missed. You you, you got, you're both helping scientists answer a question, but actually Pearl, you you mentioned and quite rightly so that you spent a lot of time not in the wet lab and found yourself spending less and less time. I can go around our labs, uh, maybe not the, the microscopy labs always pretty busy actually, but if you go into the wet labs, generally they're not always some labs will be empty at some mm-hmm. periods during the day because so much time isn't it isn't the spending time looking down a microscope capturing images by whatever mode it's the analysis that is the bottleneck mm-hmm. uh, a it limits on what we can find out from the samples secondly it's the rate limiting step it's what takes lots and lots of time and things like sound profiler are what make things easier streamlines it so not just enables you to find out stuff that you need to find out that you couldn't before Mm -hmm. but it speeds the process up to even do what you're normally doing faster so you haven't got a python program yourself and it's just there on the package and you can use it so i I think it's a a tremendous step forward so i've got to ask how's Anne as a boss so obviously Anne's done one of these podcasts with us before and and she was utterly charming what she really like go on (laughs)
1: she's exactly like that
0: <laughs> really, yeah.
1: really that she, nice? she,
2: yeah she genuinely she genuinely is it's it's been an utter delight working with her she's probably going to be like embarrassed to even hear this hear this stuff after the fact i i uh, one one small story there was a um a uh um, cytoprofiling conference a couple of years ago and there was a mixer social mixer afterward and i was talking to this one um attendee um a woman who um, was kind of newish in the field, but wanted to um, get in, um, learn more. I think she was a postdoc. And um, I told her I was part of Ann's lab. And I, and I said, yeah, if you, um, your interests seem to line up really nicely with Anne, let me introduce you to her. She's right over here. And this person I was talking to was like, you can, she, would she actually talk to me? <laughs> like, I'm, not, I'm just a regular person. <laughs> and I'm like, no, Anne would totally, t- like I, to it's, it was funny to hear almost from an outsider perspective, like she's a rock star. And so just telling, telling this person like, no, she's a regular human being. She, you can just go and talk to her. It's perfectly fine. She'd be a lot delighted. It was just seeing the shock on her face. Like she'll actually just speak to me. Um, so it's, um, yeah. Um, Anne is his, uh, um, in some, in many ways informed what I look for, um, as a manager. Um, I'm not managing people right now, but if I were, this is the type of ethos I would like. And it also informed the type of manager I wanted for my Novartis job as well. Like when I start, when I started looking and stepped into it, part of it was the science that was the draw. But I actually um, uh, asked Anne to vet my boss to be to say, like, okay, does this guy seem cool? And this person um, also had a um, uh, ethos in team building, building a culture, that sort of thing as well. And, and so Anne informed what I looked for move, moving forward in, in terms of my next career step.
0: So, so Mark, that almost sounds like, obviously they interviewed you for the post and then you got your your now boss to be interviewed by Anne and then fans go, <laughs> yeah, you can go, Mark. <laughs> Can't be that complex. Right. <laughs>
2: All sorts of. Machinery moving there.
0: <laughs> and what about you, so, so, Pearl, you're still in the lab, aren't you? I think I've yeah. got a picture somewhere. Oh, yeah. Of you.
1: That's right. That's our team.
0: Um, i down a bit. It's a, it's a large team, isn't it?
1: It has grown a lot. And one I, one thing I think that has been really smart about the way that the team has grown is that there are teams within the team. So we all work together, but I'm part of an image analysis, image analyst team that is led by Beth Simony, who she's on I the far, yeah, that's her. Um, And so she is the leader of our group, and so we have, like, a small team of about six of us, which is a really nice manageable size where you don't feel like you're going to get lost, and then we're within the bigger imaging platform um, that Anne is the ultimate director of. And, you know, one just small anecdote about Anne in particular is that we were doing we were all having a lab kind of virtual get together. I think it was our holiday party. And we had to, as a break kind of icebreaker, just fun game, we had all answered different questions. And then the goal was to guess who each person was based on their answers to these questions. And one of the questions he was like, if you had a magic wand and you could just like wave it, what would you do? And the response to on one of them was, just make everybody be nice to each other. And it was instant. It's like, yeah, that's Anne. <laughs> we just know, like, um, she genuinely cares about people and puts a priority on both not only the well-being of the people within her lab, but also models it herself and prioritizes her own health and well-being. And I think that is extremely important because. I've been in many training situations where people tell you about, you know, mental health and well-being, but the model that you are presented with by the people who are the ones in power are it's nothing at all like that. They're just stressed out of their minds, and so it's been so, I, it's been such a refreshing experience since last September to be um, a part of a group that is has a very healthy work culture.
0: I, I've got to, I, so I know Beth a little bit. Who's the better boss then, Anne or Beth? <laughs> I should have asked you that before you swallowed. Sorry.
1: <laughs> I'm going to decline to answer that. There's no better boss. Like They're both, they work together to support us. So I'm just going to decline.
0: <laughs> Let me stop recording. You can, uh, you can <laughs> tell me at that point. Mark, did you ever know Beth? Yes. Yes, we definitely yeah.
2: we definitely did overlap. Um, I would also de- decline to answer the question as well. However, um, and... Beth is now sort of the you know was elevated or promoted to the head head of this group and as soon as I saw that I just immediately reached out to her and said congratulations like this is just awesome awesome for you um because knowing Beth and how much she has helped with the, you know um, put the lab culture together as well I can see that she would be doing a great you know it's an extension of what she's already doing and she and and more so I could see her doing a great job in that role
0: so so, so I I know Beth from different conferences and she's super easy to Sit down, talk to, and actually really helpful. So I, I guess the same ethos is there that she wants to help, has that community side, and always looking for other options. And Mark, I think I've got to get to the right one. This is one of your
2: yes. pictures, which is a, so, I guess an
0: older lab picture.
2: It's an old yeah old, older picture. I forget what year it was, but this is back when we could still like do kind of team building. I don't know if the lab does this even like pre-pandemic whether there were outings. Um, uh, that the, the lab currently does but this was way way back when you probably don't recognize many of the faces um but we it was a uh, whale watching tour uh so we just went to the seaboard boarded a ship and i don't think we saw any whales on that outing but it was it was a lot it was a lot of fun you know it's you know e- even though we're all in yeah, uh, we're all in Cambridge. It's it's not that often we get to meet up um outside of of the uh, of the lab. So this was one of those sort of nice opportunities where we could come, bring our families
0: and and hang
2: out. And the weather was awesome. Mm-hmm.
0: And what, what what was this? picture? this looks like a steel girder in a
2: yeah, so yeah. What, was, yeah, what was the issue there? So this was, oh, I forget where that, yeah, it, so that's exactly right. It is a steel girder. People were encouraged to come and sign their names on it. I forget where that girder actually supposed to go. <laughs> um, I, I'm assuming it wasn't hopefully not too much of a load bearing load bearing structure, um, but yeah, it was just one of those things that the whole institute was invited to put your name on the Broad. And so we, as, as a lab came down
0: um, and uh, and signed it. <laughs> So from going there, what was the the biggest challenge of moving? In fact, just over your careers, what have you found the most challenging time? Uh, so I'll start with Pearl on this one.
1: Yeah, so I think for me, it's no question that it was the year that I was working as a psychiatry intern. Um, I just we, you know, we've set work hour limits for our healthcare system so that residents can average no more than 80 hours per week. Um, But that's a lot of time to be spent. Um, So I was working six days a week and it's just really draining work to be faced with. Sorry, they're doing yard work outside of us. (laughs) Uh, I don't schedule this, so I don't have control over when it happens.
0: Well, I did ask you what your most challenging time was and you're finding (laughs) it now. (laughs) Just to note, we had a quick break to let the gardeners pass. Mark, what have you found to be one of the most challenging
2: times? Yeah, let's see. So most, I'm trying to think the most most challenging time. So I I've kind of alluded to this a little earlier, just that time between the postdoc and, and um, the Broad were... It was just really hard in terms of not knowing what the next career step was going to be. Um, It felt like so much was riding on what this decision was, and it just felt like the big unknown and like just dark and not knowing even which way to step or which which way to turn. So that was um, that was really that was definitely really tough. And then once I made it through that, things were were significantly better. I think the other challenge was coming from the bro to Novartis. It was a much easier you know trans transition overall because it's kind of a continuation of the same trajectory. Um, but it was also my first industry job. And so not knowing exactly what was what to expect there. And I think I had certain stereotypes in mind, like from the academic side, it's sort of you know from industry, it's all about you know making the product or you know about the money or you know it's a business, you know at the end, whereas we're in the at you know, the broad we're in the altruistic nonprofit world. Um, and landing at Neber and finding out that it's not at all that you know that way, that you know it is very much about the science. So culturally speaking, I was wondering if there was going to be a huge shift and that was worrisome, but it turned out to be not much of a shift at all. Um, but it, it, the, the big challenge I think was being matrixed into a much larger, larger organization and just sort of making making um my my way there. Um, I was told at the outset from, you know, when I landed, um, several people at, at Nevada said, it'll take you one or two years for you to feel like you've really, you really are, you've made it or you belong. And I found that to be true, not because people weren't supportive because they totally were, but just simply being part of a, of a large group of lots of new things to learn acronyms and all sorts of, um, all that sort of business. Um, it takes a while just to wrap your head around it. Um, and so, yeah, after about two years, I'm like, okay, I think I finally, I finally, I finally got it. Um, but a lot of that, the challenges there were ameliorated by having a really great, you know, um, other, um, great supporting scientists, scientists as well.
0: So what is your role at Novartis?
2: <laughs> yeah. So my role was, um, so I was ended up in a, um, uh, an in, in, in silico group, which, um, Worked on doing you know, high throughput screening for the most part, and so my work was in was largely um, image analysis based. They had um, a contingent who were dedicated to that, but a lar- another part of it was also just simply um, uh, chem, in- uh, chem informatics. So one of the getting back to challenges, one of the first things I was dropped in on in terms of job was you know pick these compounds for these pick a selection of you know ten thousand compounds for the screen. I haven't had chemistry since high school. I'm like, what are these compounds again? What are they being used for? Where are the databases for, uh, that I queried to get this? Where is anything? So, um, so yeah, so, um, being able to get into this sort of chemical space and learn what was expected there, um, it definitely took some, took some doing. And I, it took it, uh, I finally got my footing um but i was you know reading books and kind of getting exposed to areas of science that i just had never hadn't dealt with for (laughs) for a long long time um so yeah so that was another another challenge but as it stands right now i do um uh, some of both it's still very much image analysis focused um you know, cell painting is is a large part of what I'm uh, doing at NIBR, but also in some ways it's much like at the Broad. I'm helping people and in various um, disease areas with their image analysis questions, and the the model is much the same. They approach us, we interact, we collaborate, um, and it's not just simply about you know here's a pipeline, one and done. It's about coming alongside them as they carry on with their with their research as well, and also expanding a bit more into the chemical space. You know. I'm still called upon to do um, you know, um, hit calling, um, compound selection. What should we run for the screen? What are the compounds that make the most sense? It's kind of those sort of decisions as well.
0: Can I ask, you may not be able to answer everything, what diseases have you been called on to help with?
2: Mm -hmm. So yeah, those are the sort of things I can probably speak just mostly generally. But Novartis as as a whole, in some ways it mirrors, I wouldn't say mirrors the broad. So we have disease areas in oncology, musculoskeletal, um, cardiac, CCBM, neuroscience, and uh, let's see, amino oncology, basically all the different uh, disease areas. We have a separate group for, and I operate within a large hub called chemical biology and therapeutics. So with that sort of model, um, I don't think there has been any disease area that I haven't worked in (laughs) um um by by this area and i would love to be able to point to like here's a um here's a um a, a therapeutic that's on the market because of something i i did but um the pipeline is so long as i'm sure as you know like a decade or more that there's nothing i can put my name to yet but maybe you know wait a few wait, more years <laughs>
0: wait a minute they came out with a vaccine within a year what's taking them so long it's so just- long <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's it's definitely lit a fi- lit a fire now. It's like, yeah, what's what's our problem? But, yeah,
0: maybe more big money will go behind certain certain exactly. aspects, maybe to, to speed these things up. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Uh, I, I, remind me the hub. What the name of the hub was again?
2: So um, CBT, chemical biology and therapeutics. It's and you were surprised um,
0: at having to learn about chemicals
2: with that name. Yeah, exactly. I should, well, that was <laughs> it. Was so that hint. was yeah. So that was formed after I got there. But beforehand, the group I was part of was the um, CPC, chem, Chemical and Proteomics Center, still chemical. So I, yeah, I really should have known. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and Pearl, how's your background going? Is that and down?
1: No, they're really, they're still going. They're a little further away at least, but... Uh, the
0: After the challenges, you've you just heard, so, so you were in medicine to help. You're now hearing how Mark is playing a very central role, kind of, kind of at the cutting edge now uh, of delivering that side do you ever see yourself moving from the sort of the, the more fundamental research which then feeds up to Novartis Yeah, you know, all the pharmaceuticals benefit from that fundamental basic science and who knows where it's going to lead mm-hmm. and so that, that I guess that's where you are now but also designing tools that Mark will be yeah. using carry on to use do you ever see yourself moving out of academia and going into large pharma or similar?
1: I could see that. I think there's a lot of power um, at large pharma to be able to effect change. And one of the things I think that I have been trained through, uh, like I've also had that experience of being within academia and there's a lot of anti-pharma kind of like culture around people who are doing basic science, and those were the people who were training me. Um, and I think it's taken me a lot of time to think about that at a more nuanced level and realize that you know if you just write off this huge sector, you're potentially missing incredible opportunities. Um, and so one of the things that I have really liked about my role in Anne's group is the fact that we do collaborate um, with pharmaceutical companies, also with academic labs. Like, Currently, we're straddling the border, but I think that has really opened my eyes to the fact that there is a lot of potential um, in that in that world. So I could see that being a next step for me. And I love that it would draw on my clinical knowledge. Like that is something that the more I get to tap into that, the happier I am. Like I do love having that as an aspect of my work. It's been great.
0: I think it's brilliant. It's just, just thinking about it now. Isn't it wonderful that we've got microscopes? we've got analysis, we've got clinicians, we've got large pharma, how they all are needed mm-hmm. to work together and all form part of the picture, really, With, without any single component, it all falls down. You, you can't finish the jigsaw without each partner within it. So I can't, I can't understand the, 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 large, the, the, the attitude that large pharma is not a good thing, mm-hmm. because without it, where, who, who's going to make the drugs? you know how's it going to be rolled out it becomes very inefficient right yeah you know, startups are great and don't get me wrong about that but ultimately they're very inefficient at, at scaling up because they haven't got the cogs to turn it. It, it it's all part of the same system really you were saying Pearl before about the most difficult time and you said you were cycling to work and you were using that uh, I think that's where we left you on that question
1: yeah Yeah, you're asking about coping through the difficult times. And for me, I, you know, the fact that I was based in Atlanta was very helpful, because I had a large community around me here of People that are supporting me, my now fiance, and then a lot of our friends, plus his family was all here. So being able to get off from work and then connect with them was very helpful. And also I would cycle to work. So I got at least a little bit of fresh air.
0: (laughs) Tell me this this is a picture of you, uh, mountain biking. This isn't your journey to work, is it?
1: That's not my commute to work. (laughs) So that's mountain biking in, I'm mountain biking in, um, Vancouver Whistler um, near the Whistler bike park on this really incredible trail that costs more than a million Canadian dollars to build um, where you just climb up for several hours and then descend for like 45 minutes. They spent
0: Uh, a million dollars creating a trail down some woodland. Isn't that what mountain bikers do naturally?
1: (laughs) Um, It has drawn a lot of people to that area. So I wish I could remember the name of that trail right now because it's a good mountain biker name of something silly. Lord of the squirrels. Yeah. And
0: I, I presume this is also, this is a picture of you biking in the snow now, also not your journey to work
1: also not my journey to work so travel is another thing that I love to do and this is me um, I'm with my family so it's a picture of us there's my sister and her husband and one of her children and then my fiance Craig in the background and we were out doing some fat biking um, in Maine where I grew up and Yep, these are the friends that I was talking about. So this is a group picture that we took recently after um, a dinner party that we have where every, the idea is that every quarter we have a fancy dinner party where everybody makes, every household makes a different dish and brings their own plates and servings set up and everything so that it's not that hard on the host. And then we have a course by course, fancy dinner.
0: So, so, So that was Deb. But I also, Mark, you, you talked about family. You are, and you mentioned this, didn't you, about that, that difficult period that you were getting married, setting about having a family, uh, which I'm just finding this picture. You are. I presume I presume your family. You're yes. not, <laughs> someone else. How old are your daughters?
2: Yes, my daughters are now, um,
0: let's see, almost 10 and seven and a half. And how is, oh, here's, here's a good question. And this, Pearl, you were talking about 80 hour weeks uh, in the clinical world. How many hours do you both think you were doing when you were working at Road and in Lab?
2: Yeah, I think for, for me, I really tried to keep it to like a 40 hour, like nine to five type, uh, type of thing. And uh, again, as, as Pearl mentioned, um, and uh, modeled the culture. So that was not, not a not a huge deal. Um, at Novartis, I've tried to keep it to about about the same, and the culture is also pretty supportive of of that as well. I think one of our um, issues as data scientists is that you know as long as you have a computer and a Wi-Fi connection, you can kind of work anywhere, anytime. And so, at least for me during the pandemic, that has been a huge challenge. Like my where I, I'm in my bedroom right now, like there is no work-life balance strictly speaking. And so it's just um, and I've only been back into the workplace um, twice in the past, you know, since March of last year. And so um, the struggle there is to limit myself to the number of hours I can work with family, like literally just a couple of doors away. Um, So, yeah, so my it's, it's interesting like to tell my daughters that, you know, I am here, but I'm not here like when I'm in the space, you know if you have i'm basically it support for their remote schooling um but other than that i need my my space so so you it's, managed, uh, to, it's been tricky. managed
0: to balance that work life very well
2: could be could be better could be better it's and one thing um, a question that's been raised is uh, what aspects of the pandemic you know of course there have been a lot of negative um, you know many negative aspects in terms of um you know, financial, psychological, emotional, spiritual, the whole bit. Um, but in some in some cases, some good can emerge from that in terms of here are patterns that were destructive before that I've had a chance to reset, and what can I take forward? And so during this time, I've been able, by virtue of being able to spend more time with, with family, um, there are certain aspects where I'm like, yeah, if it weren't for the pandemic, I would just be rushing out at seven, you know, seven o'clock to get to work as I normally did and come back for time for dinner and kind of grumble at the kids for a bit and that would be it, but now I'm here with them. And, you know, our um, our time together, especially in the mornings has become much more rich. And so I'm wondering, as I transition back to on-campus work, um, what aspects of that can I preserve? those kind of personal relations and connections that have been fostered over the past 18 months
0: and the family being happy to move with you it's odd being scientist; quite obviously it's a bit like being a traveling salesman you're always moving or quite often moving locations but the family quite happy to move
2: so in my case i i tend to be a kind of a stick in the mud stay at home so i mean uh, you know i've been here in cambridge and you know yeah, back when I was single, I could just move anywhere. My wife says she's more portable. So I'm kind of the one who's here, but really when it comes to being at the, at the technological scientific hub, you know, there's like Boston and I feel like there's California, although I'm sure even that's becoming more dispersed. Um, and my kids are doing like the school system here and so on. So I foresee that I'll be here for at least the mid to long term. So, and I'm okay with that.
0: Again, Novartis. Okay, you don't have to give him a pay rise. Oh. He's staying.
2: No, okay. <laughs> Novartis nope. has been a um, a surprising um, amount of fun. Surprising, yeah, definitely. I've been I've been pleasantly surprised. There is a bit of bit of me that wonders, like, okay, is it is it normal to spend your entire professional industrial career at one place? But many of my colleagues in in Switzerland and Basel, the mothership for Novartis, they they're lifers. You know, that's just kind of how it rolls. Yep. One, so what's the Swiss? Um, <laughs> exactly. so yeah it, if i'm at one place for the rest of my career that's probably not the worst thing
1: in the world
0: and pearl that uh, you you mentioned your fiance i believe you are getting married on august the 14th
1: that's correct uh-huh. i am it's coming up soon
0: it's amazing what you can find out on the internet to find out someone's actually married i didn't quite expect that <laughs> but, well congratulations thank you and excited
1: very excited. Uh definitely my right like, answer. A week ago was super freaking out about wedding planning, but now I did a little bit more. We did a little bit more. It feels like okay, we will have an event.
0: <laughs> and how do you how do you balance wedding planning and work? Because that that's quite a demanding aspect. Yeah.
1: You know, it is actually quite demanding. And this goes back to your question about work hours. Um, I actually volunteered for an 80% time reduction in my hours for three months that the Broad was offering to people for pandemic um, related stress. I was finding that I was getting really burned out with the Zoom and the working from home and trying to be like on for 40 hours a week, but like it's all through the computer Um, because even though what we do is computational, a lot of the work would still involve working in person with teammates as you're trying to figure something out. And it's definitely draining to try to then do all of it through the computer, so that I think plus the stress of wedding planning, I decided to go to 32 hours a week, and so I work mostly six-hour days, which has given me a little bit of extra time for the wedding planning,
0: and, 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 and for, riding the bike, and for recording podcasts, of course. That's right. I can say you
2: know hopefully so one bit of advice I can give. So lame. Um, I think the night before my wedding. I was still answering questions on the self profiler form, and Anne had to <laughs> and came in and said, "Don't do that." <laughs> I had the sense I won't be a problem in your case, but just FYI.
1: If I find myself doing that, I will stop and think. Mark told me not to.
0: <laughs> but Mark, were you doing that because you felt you should, or because that was a good way to relieve your own stress? It,
2: it more the latter the latter you know i've been there long enough that i it was just something i kind of enjoyed and it was a way to sort of like let me just do something that i know how to do before i venture into this next <laughs> this next you know life life change
0: we've asked about challenging times Mark. you talked talked about how much fun you're having what has been can you think of a moment whether it be in the lab or on conference or something else the most fun time most entertaining you know God, what goes on? What's the entertaining part in the in the day jobs?
2: Yeah, so um, there are several things I could probably point to. The first thing that my mind goes to is as a grad student, for me, it was actually, you know, I can't say this for everyone, but uh, being at Vanderbilt was a ton of fun. It was a great culture and set of people. We would do our work, go out, Get drinks, have we had like, you know, parties um, every every now and again. So that's part of the reason why I didn't anticipate going, um, staying in Boston as long as I did, because I thought I'd go back to Nashville, I might take a faculty job or something there and be in this environment that I that um, treated me so well. So that's something I still kind of uh, look, look back on as as um just a lot of fun in general. Um, but the next runner-up to that would be, I think, in in again being part of Anne's lab and just being part of that community and, and culture. Um, um, but aside from that, I think it's you know it's less about specific time periods of life and more about finding areas of enjoyment when you can, especially in the midst of a, of a pandemic um, with family and, and, and around and so on you simply um, you know you eke out those oases of of enjoyment and peace when you're able to find them and um, in many cases you can't you don't just wait for it to happen sometimes you have to carve it out for yourself it won't just fall into your lap but um, i have to say like even things like just simply you know s- you know sitting and praying or just simply um, having moments of silence uh, for myself um, that doesn't fall into the traditional definition of fun but it's meaningful and it's and it's uh, relaxing
0: don't do silence (laughs) 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 what about you fun time it's entertaining fun what's at work
1: well you know something that comes to mind It is more challenging to do things virtually, but we've had some really, for me, fun pair programming sessions where we're working together on trying, like I was trying to write some tests to test a part of the cell profiler software where I had built in some new functionality and that part was easy to build in, but then I was trying to write the test to actually make sure it works consistently and the test, I just couldn't figure it out. And that was like, got really frustrating for me at one point And then I brought in a group of of people like we got together with um, another image analyst in the lab who does a lot of software engineering plus one of the software engineers in our group and Beth who just knows everything. And we had just a really both fun and relaxed time troubleshooting that problem together. So we were all working through it. There wasn't a sense of like this meeting's going to be over in 30 minutes and we have to get it through it was just relaxed um connecting with other people and working on a problem it was great
0: so thinking of fun I'm going to ask some quick fire questions before we get back to the serious stuff so I've got a few other slightly more serious questions to, to find about I don't know who's going to answer first but we'll find out what's your favorite item that you own start with Pearl
1: my mountain bike
0: uh-huh. Mark favorite
2: item um well i see this gets back I, I don't think i've ever been asked that question before um i'm going to go with oh i used to have this mug that i used to love unfortunately it fell and broke not too long ago but yeah well not, not necessarily quite like you know running from
0: a burning building i must save the mug but it was, it was something that i treasured for quite some time what what's your pet hate what do you really dislike i'll start with mark on that one
2: ah uh, um oh boy these are loud cool no, loud noises <laughs> and not like leaf blowers in the, in the background um you know, just, again i think you might get the impression you know common peace is good so loud noises are very jarring
1: oh <laughs> well, i struggle with people who judge other people so then I judge people who judge people. It's the, <laughs> the, the those layers.
0: There was me about to give you a 10, oh, but I won't judge. <laughs> uh, what food, what's your favorite food, Pearl.
1: Um Probably a Mediterranean style, like hummus and d- fresh vegetables and things like that. I love that style. Okay, Mark?
2: Ribs.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. oh. And I'm a full-on carnivore. So what food do you most dislike? go mediterranean hummus and vegetables
1: cilantro i hate cilantro
0: and mark liver oh not quite like liver
2: although fuck gras. yeah I, I like i like that so liver and certain i think liver how my mom used
0: to do it <laughs> kidneys kidneys have got to be worse than liver
2: Uh, if it's, if kidneys are done right, they're
0: not too bad. Favorite drink. (laughs) Oh, Mark, favorite drink. Oh, favorite drink. Uh,
2: let's see. There was this coffee I used to love called the accelerator. It was like three shots of espresso, um, plus, um, um, you know, steamed milk and and whipped cream, um, in a glass like about this big. (laughs) That was, that's what's got me through grad school.
0: Uh, that, that's not a drink that's drugs but i'll let you off
1: for me it's it's like very strong ginger extract with lemon there's a hot lemon ginger tea it's delicious mm, okay and sugar. sugar in it too
0: favorite movie pearl
1: i don't like movies uh, clueless i have to say oh, okay
0: yep mark
2: Oh, favorite movie, Um, there's so, there's so many. Um, Okay, favorite genre. Okay, I'll I'll go science fiction as a genre, but one movie I'm very fond of is The Iron Giant. It never fails to make me uh, mist up a little bit towards the end. Oh,
0: that's nice. And so, Pearl, you said you're not a movie, so are you a book or TV type person?
1: I like both, I like books and TV.
0: Okay. What's your, what what's your secret uh trash t v that you like
1: I think I have to admit that my secret is probably that I love reading trashy romance novels that's that's the real secret i okay. can just devour them
0: and mark do you have a secret vice uh
2: secret vice yeah, no vices no vices at all <laughs> no um yeah what 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 vice or uh Yes, fortunately, I am I try to have a good relationship with the internet, so I try not to binge watch uh, stuff, but um, oh, okay, maybe to The Amazing Race. My wife and I love watching The Amazing Race um, because it's like, you know, we are watching these couples do these challenges and the two of us will turn to each other and say, okay, this is the part where if this happened, you would curse at me and storm out or that kind of that sort of thing, you, know. you know? So that's, yeah, that's the closest we come to like binge watching um <laughs> advice
0: <laughs> brilliant I, I love this 20 years time when you're both the megastars where you're both the hands in the world we'll be back and we'll see if you still confess to those <laughs> <laughs> how your taste change and uh, i've got two more things firstly actually the importance of internships internships can have a bad name sometimes but i i, I know that certainly pearl uh you've done internships uh, mark did you do internships at all I did one, um, as a undergrad, how useful do you think they are, were to you? So it, it, it
2: turned out for me. So this was in, at Tulane, I went to the university of Minnesota for a summer internship and, um, that was the, that was in a neuroscience group. And that was the thing that got me interested in neuroscience as a, in general. And allowed me to focus on cardiac electrophysiology when I returned for my senior year, and that kind of set me off in, on the, that trajectory. So, scientifically speaking, it was like the thing I was looking for. Like, this is something really cool that I can fo- hone in on in this general field of, of biomedical engineering. um But also, the internship program was actually—it was really good. It was a lot of fun. Met a lot of people. So that was the other aspect as well. As an experience, it was also a, a really great, a really great time. And so, both of those together. Were
0: helpful. So, so, not only did you create a network, you got into networks quite literally in the neurobiology side right. as well. Yeah. And Pearl, what about you and your internships? Were they useful? Yeah.
1: For me, they were very useful because my family, no one in my family was in medicine or science. My parents are, um, my dad ran a boat building shop that my mom also worked at. And so, having access to that world as a young person was very helpful. And in a way, like now, I think your podcasts are also helping to span that gap where people can start to get to know the people who are scientists, even if they're not already a part of that group. And that, to me, is very important because not everybody is, grows up with access.
0: Which comes actually to one of the final points, which was Slack. And I believe, Pearl, you're the founder of the Future PI, Slack Peer Group.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: So, so what is
1: that? So that is a, um, it's a Slack group for people who are postdocs. Most of the people in the group are in biomedical fields, but it spans quite a, a wide diversity of different, different areas of research. And the goal when I created it was to make a platform where just people could talk to each other and ask questions and get advice, recognizing that compared to graduate school, when you start as a postdoc in a lab, you're relatively isolated. Like maybe there's a couple other postdocs on your floor or you might get to know them, but it's not the same as going through a cohort of graduate students. And so I started that in 2006. 17, I believe. And it's really grown over the last four years. We have, it's probably about 500 active members at any one point, but more than, I think we're at more than 4,000 people who have signed up over the years and who are actively like a part of the workspace. And It's used by postdocs to chat to each other about questions they have, you know, is my boss treating me correctly? What do you guys think about this? Um, Advice about faculty applications. A lot of people asking etiquette questions, honestly, about like, when should I send the thank you emails? Like, how should I address them? All those types of things that just, you can not be sure of what you don't know. And it's a platform to try to help get some ideas out.
0: So again, a back back to networks, mm-hmm. again, uh, and using those networks and making, that's a really good, yeah, quite an inspiring group to have set up. You must be really proud of, of how successful it's been as well.
1: It's, you know, I just happen to be the person who opened up the Slack space and got the Twitter handle, but really it's the group, like it's the people who have come in and joined that has been amazing. And I absolutely am proud, like. People not me have organized studying the faculty job application process to try to get more insight into what that process is like and they've published papers about it. And, um, and also just I see people being kind to each other on there every day and that to me is like what I'm most proud of.
0: That's cool. We we, I have noticed we are actually now over an hour long. which time has gone far too fast because i have not i still have questions i want to ask you but you know what hopefully five ten years time we can revisit this because that would be awesome and then i still have the same questions uh so mark pearl thank you so much for joining us today loads of top tips it's been really great to hear about the difficulties in careers and changing careers I, i love the way you two sort of just you harmonize so beautifully in you know how how you're making the foundations to make change, to develop the drugs. Mark, you're now t- taking those building blocks, taking that career and now actually impacting to the end point. I, I think it's just amazing what you both do. So thank you very much from everyone in the community for everything you've been doing. And thank you for joining me today. Yeah, Thank you for inviting us.
2: Yeah, thanks for
0: the opportunity. And thank you everyone who's been watching or listening. Uh, On whatever platform, don't forget to subscribe and go watch Anne's for sure. And there's lots of other different podcasts. We just heard actually from Pearl at the end about the importance of networking and how a group starts to impact lots of other groups, not just the biomed. Chris Lintot, who did Zooniverse, uh, go and watch, listen to his to just see how you can also get involved, uh, no matter who you are, what you do in helping science, which comes back to helping mark the drug developments and helping all of us so on that note thank you very much
1: thank you for listening to the microscopists a bite-sized bio podcast sponsored by zeiss microscopy to view all audio and video recordings from this series please visit bitesizebio.com forward slash the dash microscopists